This episode of Engineering the Future is brought to you by BMS Canada Risk Services, OSPI's trusted insurance broker for member liability coverage. BMS understands the risks that engineers face in their practice and provides OSPI members access to leading insurance products, advice, and support from experienced brokers, as well as risk management resources. For more information on how BMS can help protect you and even your business, visit OSPI's website or ospi.bmsgroup.com. This podcast is brought to you by OSPI, the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers, the advocacy body for professional engineers and the engineering community in Ontario. Welcome to Engineering the Future, a podcast presented by the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers. I am your host, Jerome James. Today, we're joined by Dr. Brian Fleck, a professional engineer and professor from the University of Alberta. Along with a team of medical scientists and engineers, Brian has, is currently studying ventilation and how it impacts the transmission of COVID-19. He is passionate about indoor air quality and its effects on health, happiness, and productivity. Thank you for joining me today, Brian. Thank you for having me today. To start, uh, why don't you tell uh, the audience, uh, why is indoor air quality such an important issue to you? Or wow, that's an important a great, issue uh, to, to begin with, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, what, why it's interesting and important to me is the same reason it should be important to all of us is that indoor air quality is becoming a greater and greater issue in society today and has a very important impact on health and the economy. Uh, we see over time in an organization that many of our engineer members are familiar with called ASHRAE, uh, a lot of discussion on how we should be putting more effort into improving indoor air quality, IAQ. And as we move into the future, we see uh, growth in the concern around things um, that can make the air quality or the air we breathe lower, we see a greater and greater need to put scientific attention and professional attention on this very important uh, factor. Climate change and things like that, increased uh, human activity and pollution, they're all putting pressure on the quality of the air we breathe and we need to take it seriously. And, uh, okay, interesting. Uh, we all know that HVAC systems move air around our buildings and help us to breathe essentially indoors. How does that system impact the spread of COVID-19? Great question. So um, if, if the folks listening right now are engineers, they'll often know what HVAC means, but uh, HVAC is heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. And those are the mechanical systems that take care of the supply of fresh, uh, breathable air inside the built environment. And so we all know that there are a number of things that can be in the air we breathe, both indoors and outdoors. An HVAC system uh, has the ability to move air around, remove contaminated air or air that has 
particles or um, chemical species that we don't or shouldn't breathe and move them out of the building, remove them with filters, uh, destroy them with ultraviolet light and things like that. Um, so the HVAC system is really the, the thing that helps you breathe in the building. And you're there in the building trying to enjoy uh, or work or, or be productive. And if that air you breathe um, isn't acceptable, it has a great effect on the performance of people in those spaces and how good they feel and therefore the productivity of our society in general. Uh, an important little detail I like to remind people is today people are spending almost 90% of the time indoors. We like to think we love the outdoors wow. and things like that, but you know, we're mostly spending our time inside and that air is usually delivered to you by a mechanical system designed and built by engineers. Right. Interesting. Um, so what exactly is your research in ventilation hoping to achieve? Oh, good question too. So we were actually funded by the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, which is the funding body for health research in Canada, to look at the current literature that uh, tries to trace or, or find the interaction between HVAC, indoor air quality, and uh, the transmission of viruses, specifically at the time of the funding, uh, the the COVID-19 outbreak was just uh, beginning and there was um, a shortage of information on this. So we're, we're working through what's called a systematic review. That means we have a traceable, recorded way of doing all of our searches and making sure which research papers are included. And there are thousands of research papers on all of these topics trying to bring this information together and catalog what we know is is actually quite challenging. Another part of my research uh, is I, I use this information uh, to provide input into our risk models, so our exposure risk models that we perform on buildings at the University of Alberta. Currently at the University of Alberta, we have a reduced use of the building infrastructure because of concerns around COVID-19 transmission on all, a variety of different um, uh, modalities. We're looking at the HVAC systems and assessing what those risks will be when we open up those buildings. And it's an important um, decision-making tools that allow the operators of the facilities to decide whether they're going to change the operating parameters of the HVAC system or use different rooms than they normally use. There's a lot of um, people concerned and they want to know that some quantitative scientific evidence is behind decisions that are being made. Right. Very interesting. Um, can you uh, elaborate more of your trajectory uh, to be doing this type of research? How did you oh, get like my background? Uh, yeah, and uh, how did you get excited about ventilation, and and how did it progress to get getting funding for okay. this topic? So um, I'm actually more of a fluid dynamicist. That sounds like a nerdy term, but I, I do study in fluid mechanics, and I did some work in sprays and aerosols. Uh, and I have done some research in HVAC. I work with a team of people. Um, so one of the people on my team 
uh, is really a specialist in HVAC. We've got somebody in our team who is a, in the Faculty of Medicine who is an expert in systematic reviews. I've got this background in fluid dynamics and sprays. And it became apparent, I guess, last January, January 2020, that there was an unfolding situation where there was a, a lack of information. And, and I had a sense that things were going to escalate, as, as we all know they did. Mm -hmm. So when a call came to put in a proposal for this research project, we had already been thinking about putting in a grant proposal. So the, the timelines for, for getting that through were quite tight. And so we got that in and, and got going very quickly with that project. So what makes me excited, I guess, is that this is a ubiquitous technology. Ventilation systems are often, you know, the simple systems that uh, people ignore or think are doing magical things in the background and we don't pay attention to. Many of us know HVAC engineers and mechanical engineering kind of get treated like, you know, techies who who are not at the very high-tech end mm -hmm. of that spectrum of research. And, that, and that's actually a myth. Uh, there's a great deal of scientific knowledge and information and research that goes into understanding our HVAC systems. Right. So I, I find it neat um, just thinking about how much HVAC infrastructure exists currently in Canada and the world compared mm -hmm. to the other things we, we work with and play with. You know, everyone's super excited about cell phones and things like that. But in your home, you've got a lot more... Uh, infrastructure for HVAC in your in your home than maybe electronics, uh, and they're extremely important for uh, some of the challenges we're going to be running into in the future. Right, uh, very interesting. Um, we're currently months into our our second lockdown here in Ontario, and we're still experiencing high transmission rates, uh, daily numbers of infections. Uh, do you think that our current standards around air quality are too low? Do we need to have a more rigorous uh, level of uh, refreshing uh, outdoor air take up um, in those kind of scenarios? And, and do you think that certain parameters should be indicators? Um, for government to make decisions on whether or not to reopen or how to decide whether or not to send our kids back to school? Um, should there be different standards in food processing versus in the classroom? Okay. Um, that was about four questions. So <laughs> I'm going to take, I'm going to try to remember what Sorry. you said there. So uh, yeah. let's get started first on what you said about a high rate of transmission. Mm -hmm. um, so compared to most um, epidemics that we've dealt with in the last few centuries, uh, the transmission rate of COVID-19 is remarkably low. Uh, if you compare it to measles, polio, um, things that have been, uh, you know, Spanish flu, these were things that um, were devastating. Uh, my father had polio and it really, he had a hard time learning to walk after he had polio back in, you know, the, the 30s, right? Um, 
The point is, though, where our society is becoming more modern and the standards are getting higher and higher for the expectations of health. So this condition, which compared to previous uh, epidemics is not particularly deadly, is still a great concern to our economy because right. we have increased the expectations and standards of health and, and um, quality of life that we, we require. And so it's good to see that we're taking this seriously. Uh, the reason I say that is just to make sure we don't get too alarmed by the situation. This situation is something that can be quite problematic to a lot of people and has caused a fair bit of death. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we mustn't dismiss that. And we can save many, many lives. And, and as you know, we're over a million deaths right now in the world because of this. Um, we could be reducing the death toll by some of the measures which are non-pharmaceutical interventions. And right. one of those is improving of indoor air quality. Hmm. So I kind of covered a lot of issues there. Uh, so at one time saying this is not a deadly epidemic compared to what we've experienced in the past, but it is still very deadly and of significant concern. And we should be taking it very seriously without panicking. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of uh, what we can do to um, improve our ability to handle this and future outbreaks, which could very well be similar to this, uh, we need to understand that the air that we breathe in buildings has a role to play. And we've had the technology to improve indoor air quality for a very long time. Why haven't What's, we been doing it? Exactly. Uh, is What's your question, stopping us? I think. Mm -hmm. uh, well, there's a number of things. It's an invisible, it's an invisible problem. Not too many people understand it. And the market is not very sensitized to the need for good quality air. Mm. And so when you buy a home, you rarely ask uh, the real estate agent, what does the HVAC system look like in this house you're buying? You might spend more time talking about the color of the paint or the countertop material. Uh, and, and that's always a problem when people are attracted to luxuries over, you know, we as engineers deal with that all the time. Uh, look at the automobile industry. Um, you know, automobiles that mechanically were very substandard were extremely popular to consumers in, in historically. Uh, the same goes for HVAC systems. It's not a sexy topic. So we need to educate people so that they are sensitized when they are renting places, when they are looking for business spaces for their small businesses, that uh, the indoor air quality is a factor in their economic productivity, their health, and their happiness. Right. We also need the government um, to, to put the right... Um, I guess, leverage in place, and hopefully the government will do that and, and enable people to uh, deleverage these costs. So make sure that they're not as expensive. And we don't want real estate owners to feel like if they make an investment and improve the indoor air quality in their buildings, they're going to be out of pocket compared to somebody else who does nothing. Right. People and need incentives. Yeah. How Carry much, on. how much does it have to be on the people versus 
uh, government legislating some sort of minimum allowable standard, um, mm. such as when we go to buy a car, you know, we're not buying gas guzzlers these days, but we're, we're still going for the color, but we, we've trusted that a certain level of environmental quality has been legislated into the vehicle. Right. Can we so, say that there's a, a level of standard that needs to be raised that the government can influence? We hope you're enjoying this episode so far. At OSPI, we're here for you, making sure government, media, and the public are listening to the voice of engineers. You can learn more at ospi.on.ca. Okay, excellent question. And a lot of my colleagues who may be listening to this right now are really hardworking people who work on building codes and standards. Professional engineers contribute throughout Canada to the standards that, that are inform how buildings are made. The timeline for making change to the building code in Canada is quite lengthy. Um, it's a five-year cycle and the window for getting new changes for this build, building code have passed. So if you wanted to change it today, you'd be looking at a 10-year wait before those would change as it moves through the system. And building codes right. actually only apply to new construction. So they do not apply to existing buildings. So uh, the building code itself is not really going to quickly adjust to our increased sensitivity and awareness about airborne pathogen transmission inside the built environment. Mm. There are other directions you can go, but people aren't crazy about having strict restrictions in place. Generally, um, people who've already put a lot of money into building and owning infrastructure aren't crazy about uh, rules that come in after the fact when they may already have their budgets and, and costs set out for a very long period of time for long-term real estate investment. But mm -hmm. things like the fire code uh, are ways you can change things. And we also know that um, health regulations can actually be quite uh, strict and in enforced very strictly. Um, and we have seen that um, in this year that the there are um, legislation there is legislation in place that allows health restrictions to um, make draconian changes to the way we move around and do things. So do you, you see, yeah, I think the think incentive needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Do you think that incentive or uh motivation to invest would be spurred um, if we had the right data to say that, okay, the government, because everyone wants to, sh to open right now, right? Yeah. So if they had the proper data to say, we can lower our transmission rates in our institution if we follow the standard that this new paper has just released and, and the government allows you to open because of this. Do you think that that would catch traction? Do you think people would be more motivated if you had a forward-thinking uh, government to to understand the type of research that's happening in this space? So I, I think the way to move forward is to create um, a win-win situation. Lots of metaphors you can use. We make the pie bigger. Uh, we create growth in the economy by investing in the quality of our lives and the efficiency of our buildings. 
It has been known for quite a long while prior to COVID-19 that improved air quality investments pay back, but they pay back to the occupants of the building. If the owner of the building is not the occupant of the building, then the owner does not um, win those uh, improvements because people become more efficient, they become happier, they're more productive. All of this is well documented in excellent research that's that's available publicly and and, and you know through online and a number of different places, a number right. of different places. Um, to get somebody who owns a building to improve in the air quality when they do not occupy it. Uh, would require a market where renters are sensitive to the importance of why they would want to move into a building that could show some sort of accredited or standardized um, metrics of air quality, which we which we have. We have the ability to um, ask. Uh, people to to give some information on the number of particles per cubic meter of air, you know, to disclose um, information about the HVAC systems. But renters, owners, buyers, even people coming to hotels don't ask those questions. So it's very hard to pass that along. And so, I mean, those 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 patterns could change in a, a future where we see pandemics the new normal maybe yeah and and, and, and think uh, about if, if i'm uh, not going to rent from a place <laughs> right think if about i'm not going to rent think from about, a place yeah what we've Sorry seen in, in a number of jurisdictions in the world like extremely large metropolises uh mm -hmm. that we see in in asia and africa um you know far bigger than toronto for example uh, we see cities that are tens of million in size and the air quality in those um, extremely dense urban centers is quite problematic. Yeah. You can see then that having good indoor air quality would be a luxury that people would, would seek out mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. once people know that it's available and it's not particularly expensive. And, and this is one of the reasons I believe that instead of uh, having a punitive sort of control-based approach, which which is actually quite difficult to enforce until people are educated. You know, mm -hmm. people smoked voluntarily for for ages and right. and didn't stop, right? It, you know, there and there was a significant evidence showing it was extremely bad for your health. It wasn't until the government went into um, education mode that we really got a handle on the popularity of smoking. I could see and, those uh, incentives changing if, uh, you know, uh, we come into an area of like, if another lockdown comes, you mm -hmm. won't be able to open with these this ventilation. That could be a calculation for a small business owner to say, I'm going to spend a little bit more rent here instead of staying here because I'm hedging my bets. I don't mm -hmm. want to be closed for three months if uh, the next lockdown happens. And there's another point to consider is that there are <clears throat> there are populations at risk that uh, require a higher duty of care. And as professional engineers, those are those are things. Um, if we operate HVAC systems in in places, healthcare facilities, or long term. Um, residences for geriatric care, uh, these are places where the market is sensitive. So we know now uh, that there are concerns around lawsuits and liability 
and this will spur activity in those sectors. Right, and right. I, I've seen this already starting to happen. So I see owners of long-term care facilities now starting to see they need to be better than the average. Um, and now they're competing uh, for, for resident dollars. And, and I think um, as they increase the indoor air quality for our seniors, it will make lives for them better. You know, these are people who we care for and love, but we don't want to just forget about. Mm-hmm. And knowing that they're, they're living in excellent care is, is an opportunity for, for competitive growth in those growing markets. And, and as you know, the, the age histogram of this country is looking at quite a ramp for the next 10 years. So I expect that that sector of our economy will be quite enthusiastic about competing for excellent indoor air quality. Those are growth sectors that could then uh, create opportunities in other parts of our economy that I think would be really nice to see. Absolutely. Uh, We as engineers uh, have a lot of technical knowledge in finite areas. How much of an onus is it on the technical community to raise awareness to the general public? on these issues, would you say? Well, as you know, I'm a professor uh, and I'm very motivated to uh, encourage people to seek out a lifelong learning. Uh, So engineers um, in most of the professional or the provinces in Canada are encouraged to maintain excellent uh, and well-upgraded knowledge of technical systems. We do have a duty to be leaders that's why we're professional engineers and that's why we are self-governed because we have a responsibility to the public and and you know we see stakeholder capitalism also being a much more important concept in our society today we cannot expect the public to understand all of these things so people like me who work in education or people like yourself who work in uh, you know, trying to get public awareness out, have a duty to get the information out and adjust the nature of the information so it suits our audiences uh, so that we can make it understandable. You don't want to talk down to people. You don't want to talk over people. Right. So there's all these ways that you can enter the education of, of the public and of course lobbying to government on the value of having people with scientific credentials uh, and of course uh, you, you're going to hear me once again advocate for professional engineers having that professional designation where we have a code of conduct and we have self-government so mm-hmm. that we can make sure that the people who are doing these critical uh, critical duties in HVAC are self-governed and are watching one another uh, in a way that a third-party body wouldn't have the ability to do. That's why why, why we're self-governed, right? So we have to, mm. you know, for our own benefit, for our own profession, or else someone will come along who doesn't know what they're talking about and sell garbage, uh, right. if you pardon the sort of slang there. Uh, and, and uh, of course, you and I both know that there are people all over the place who – would um, sell things just to sell things. Uh, And it's really up to us to set that standard higher to say, yeah, sure, you can buy this product, but don't you want 
the choice of the product or the installation of this product or system to be supervised by somebody who is governed by a body that uh, puts a great deal of effort and and I guess vigilance into making sure its members are qualified. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I have one last question for you. Uh, do you have any um, interesting um, nuggets from your research that uh, is maybe published or com or knowledge that you can share with us that was interesting as that you've come across in in your covid research journey sure i mean top of my head a lot of the things are starting to get out in the news but um we we know that um for a long time there were political slash health organizations that seemed to be choking on the concept of airborne transmission and mm. and one of the things we learn about healthcare and public health it, it is sort of half science half politics right and so we have to understand that the time it took for them to admit that this uh, virus seemed very likely to have an airborne transition route uh, was lost time. But So we've learned something there, that um, people in those sectors who are providing advice to the entire world have to be extremely careful about what they say. So we, we, you know, we had emerging information to give us the sense that this was an airborne pathogen or airborne transmission was a significant concern, but it took a while for there to be guidance from the top bodies in the world. Mm -hmm. And this really, this really shows us that sometimes you have to act based on, on being careful before you know. As long, you know, you have to make a choice on, okay, certain interventions which are not expensive and do not impair the economy, we should probably bring in right away. Uh, and, and there was some hesitancy to do some of those things. Things like oh, masks, absolutely. right? We weren't yeah. exactly sure how well they worked. We're still not entirely sure how well they work. But knowing how cheap they are, it seemed like a, an easy approach. Uh, and, and there was an odd resistance to this that might have been cultural or, or people were seeing this as an attack on individuality. I whereas, remember that time. Yes. Yeah. I, whereas I, <laughs> the there are other things that are just very expensive mm -hmm. uh, that are um, it, it, we still aren't sure are, are effective. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it, it's it's odd how things have have progressed in different jurisdictions right. but as a society i would have thought we, it would have been easy to make the choices that were not costly soon whereas things that were quite an onerous load on the economy um you know the, i can understand why it took them a while to make some of those choices and, yeah. and there's still I, lots of yeah. odd contradictions that are laying around in policy that are just because there's all these overlapping jurisdictions. Like I go skiing in the Rocky mountains and mm -hmm. the operator at the ski lift tells me to have my mask on when I'm outdoors in a high wind area, but you're allowed to have your mask off indoors in the chalet. Right. Right. So it doesn't make you know, sense. There's, there's these weird things and, and you just see things that don't make sense and go, okay, well, how'd we get here? Yeah. Not, not everything makes sense. And, uh, you know, we have to speak out about the things that don't make sense without being 
too counterproductive, right? Yeah, it's it it's it's true what you say is are we hearing something that is is seated in in science or is it more political political posturing? I remember the first that first like section of time when um the mask uh, conversation was was not def- uh, definite and i'm i'm like if it's good enough for the nurses in those wards to wear an n95 or something constantly and they're in in harm's way day in day out i'm gonna find a mask i remember yeah, wearing a mask from that at that right. point onwards right and, yeah oh uh, and and you know, I look at that as, again, although if I were a mask manufacturer, this would, you know, I would be very happy about those. But the, the way that those costs distribute easily over um, a lot of people, in particular low-income people, are the people we have to be very sensitive about, right? Um, mm-hmm. We can't be expecting them to buy uh, $65 uh, respirators, right, to walk around and work in um, a minimum wage retail job, right? right. Uh, so, you know, masks are cheap, and I think it would have been good if the the public were given those you know or, you know provided those are people low-income people but again that's politics yeah i feel like there was a uh, moment where there was a fear of shortage and donald trump wasn't helping the matter at the moment either yeah well there were there were all sorts of odd things happening in that time and i, yeah. I try not to um you know, I have been involved in politics myself, and 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 I and I understand when I've stepped over the line. I'm talking about science and engineering or politics. I'll stay away from from that. But you know, mm-hmm. I I believe that um, as as we move forward, the things that will be beneficial to everybody are going to be the things we adopt. And right. if this this you know a revolution and improvement in goods and services in indoor air quality and building engineering would be beneficial to the economy. It We already have evidence to show that this would be a boon in productivity. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's not some burden. Uh, having more healthy people taking less sick days, uh, this is already demonstrated prior to COVID-19 as an economic win. Again, the problem is the people who make the changes to the building don't necessarily reap the rewards. And so we have to align that in some way to make it a win-win-win situation. I do see that uh, people are going to be more sensitive to it, sensitize people, people with lung disease, people with allergies, people with asthma, people with autoimmune disorders, the elderly. This will drive the market. and, And I believe then after that, people will become accustomed to excellent indoor air quality. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Brian Fleck. Um, I hope that um, some real good insights come out of your research. Thanks very much for your time and and good luck to everybody and uh, stay healthy and safe. From all of us at OSPI, the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers, thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.